Well, I have a question for you. Do you have one good idea? Could it change your life? I'll tell you why it may or may not. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, welcome in. This is my favorite time of the week when I get to unpack these questions. And we take 48 minutes to talk about real-life questions Look at ways we can all be more successful together and how you can dramatically change your success in 48 days. Yeah, I get asked that question a lot still. Why 48 days? Well, it wasn't as scientific as what I'd like to claim. It was more haphazard in the beginning, but golly, has it ever served me well. Because people, once they really believe that they in fact can change their life in 48 days, they take steps to make it happen. It, it just is amazing to watch it unfold. We're going to hear from some people today who have done exactly that. I love the audio clips you all are sending in. We'll share some of those and always have some great questions as well. Like this, Dan, what should I do with the $50,000 that I'm about to inherit? Should I pay off my house? Should I invest it? Well, we'll have some fun talking about that. How about this? Dan, if you could recommend five books for young teenagers to read this summer, what would they be? No problem there at all. Dan, what can a Christian wife do besides nagging, which doesn't work to help her husband find a new path and a new direction? How important are personal skills for success? What are the common traits of millionaires? Golly, those and more. Great, great questions. Here's our quotation. Now, remember in the opening, I asked, do you have one good idea? The quotation comes from Gary Halbert, great thinker, been gone a few years now, but he said this, now listen to everything here, properly exploited one good idea that occurs to you while walking on the beach is worth more than 10 lifetimes of hard work. Now, there's some real critical components of that statement. It's not one good idea is worth more than 10 lifetimes of hard work. Everybody has ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen. The real key is the first two words in this quotation, properly exploited. One good idea that occurs to you while walking on the beach is worth more than 10 lifetimes of hard work. Properly exploited means you created a plan of action, took massive action. You know, I hear from people, Every day, you know, thank you for 48 days. Thank you for normal Mondays, whatever, you know, and how it changed your life. And I think, you know, the material is available to everybody. Why didn't it change everybody's life? It's not the information. It's only if you're willing to create a plan of action and execute, take massive action. If you do that, absolutely. It can change your life. You can change your life. Well, we'll hear from those stories. Here's one. Now, this comes from Aaron Kerr, who's been a friend of mine for a long time, active member of 48days.net. He says, Dan, first of all, hope you and your family are doing well. I want to thank you for the ways you've encouraged me as an entrepreneur and helped me to share the success of my public domain publishing business. 
It was a pleasure to share about the little book that earned me $29,000 in royalties. I've gone on to earn over $110,000 in public domain royalties between 2013 and 2015. All this happened with a small collection of books being published in my spare time while working a full-time job and raising a family. Now think about that. I'll insert my own thoughts here real quick. Aaron made $110,000 in public domain royalties between 2013 and 2015. So that's two years. But it's, it wasn't that he quit his job and he's just working 10 hours a day to make that happen. He did that just on the side while he still got a full-time job raising his family. Now he did that using public domain works. He put together a collection of Anne, Anne of Green Gables works and just put it out there. Now I, I want to finish his note here and then I want to talk about this a little bit because it's so stinking exciting. He says, I'm convinced public domain publishing is a profitable, low investment business that is enjoyable while also offering great passive income. I'm hard at work building a course that covers all the details about how this business works and how others can start a similar business. I plan to launch it in June. Would you be interested in helping to share this course with your community via email, your website, and podcast? I plan to offer this course for $197 with a discount available for 48 days community members and so on and so forth. Now here, the topic, the course includes what is public domain content? What are the rules for public domain publication? How do I find works in the public domain? Steps to crafting a great book and offer? Publishing a paperback through CreateSpace, promoting and selling, and so on. Yes, I'll promote that because I love the idea. Now, if you go to 48 Days, you can find Aaron Kerr, K-E-R-R. You can find his discussions and find a link right to this course. And he's offering 50% discount, 48days.net members, which is really cool. So, you know, I encourage you to go there and find it. It's worth it. It's worth finding it and getting involved. I have threatened for years now telling my team that sometime I'm going to take an entire year off and do nothing but browse through public domain books, find things that have value and bring them back to life. Now what it means just quickly, public domain means that our books where the copyright have not been renewed and they're in the public domain, meaning anybody can go back and publish them. Now keep in mind with books or content of any kind, it's not necessarily the person creating the content who makes money. It's the person who sells the content. Selling is what makes money. Creating content just gives you a warm buzz perhaps, but it's not the key to making money. So what Aaron is doing is making money on what other people sweat over, the writing, the creating content, but it's in the public domain. He brings it back and shows people how to get access to these great old stories there's lots of things like that. My friend Jim Hodges has made a great living reading old history books out of the public domain and in doing so creating audio products for homeschoolers. I mean, lots of people are doing that. Rebecca Fine, um, her entire business is based on the old 1910 Wallace Waddles book, The Science of Getting Rich. She has Seminars on that, workshops, audio program. Her entire business is based on that one book that she got out of the public domain. Anyway, yeah, you can tell I'm excited. Love, love what's going on here. I'll, I'll put a link to the show notes to Aaron's course on public domain. But 
my gosh, there's a whole lot of you that could really benefit from that. You know, sometimes we get caught up in thinking that we got to create the next Frisbee or hula hoop. We got to do something that's never been thought of before. No, not really. I mean, there's a whole lot of content out there where if you just simply bring it back to the table, you can do well. You can thrive in doing that. Aaron has certainly done that and delighted to, to share that idea with him or his idea with you. Marcy Travis put up a post, a uh, great resume makeovers first winner. She's helping people do makeovers and awarding prizes as a result of doing that. Now she can, she's got a free resume template and the URL is lengthy. I'll put it in the show notes, or you can just go to the discussion on 48days.net, find Marcy Travis's discussion and get it there. But she's helping people shape their resumes. I had a young man recently, actually his mother sent me his resume. He's a really competent guy, has had a really illustrious history. And I looked at his resume and I said, oh my gosh, you know, it's the most boring thing I've ever seen. Unless he wants to just duplicate what he's done most recently. I mean, all I did was list his previous jobs. There was nothing to really engage the reader or make him think, wow, this is somebody we want on our team. Nothing at all. I made a couple suggestions. He did that, sent it back, had his photo, two opening paragraphs that I mean were like the beginning of a novel. It was like, my goodness, I want to talk to this guy. I want to see this guy. This is somebody we want to have on our team. You can do that. Make sure you're doing a good job if you are, in fact, putting together a resume. Now, Eric wrote a note, and this is pretty cool. He says, you've often said that volunteering at a conference is a great way to get a unique perspective on an event. In an effort to think more creatively about my own HR coaching consulting business, I've signed, and it's his, his site is harmonyinsights.com. I've signed on to be a volunteer at Podcast Movement in Chicago this summer. Jay Austin, the person coordinating volunteers, was kind enough to solicit our own personal objectives for the event. When I mentioned that I would be honored to meet and learn from longtime virtual mentors like Dan Miller and Pat Flynn, Jay immediately offered me a room attendant role. If this initial communication with volunteers is any indication of what it would be like to attend podcast movement in July, I'm convinced that it's going to be a very special and memorable experience. I hope to shake your hand this July. Eric, I love what you're doing. Uh, you, you've heard me talk about in early years when Joanna and I didn't have two nickels to rub together. We went to a whole lot of big seminars because of doing exactly this. Volunteering to man the table, sell product, help usher people, hand out brochures, books, whatever. We got, we got entrance to a whole lot of workshops and seminars by doing exactly that. With people like Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins and Dennis Waitley and Zig Ziglar. I mean, all the big greats. We got into a lot of conferences just simply by volunteering to help. So I commend you on what you're doing. And trust me, podcast movement is going to be a professionally conducted event. What Jared Easley and Dan Franks have done in that with in three years is pretty astounding. They are masters at doing an event well. Yes, I will be there. Uh, delighted to be there. That'll be July 6th through the 8th in Chicago. And I encourage you to go. If you have any interest in podcasting, hey, this is the event to be at. Incidentally, a little uh, self, self-shameless plug here. If you mention when you register that you heard me, Dan Miller, talk about it, you'll get a free T-shirt. And so why? How cool is that? 
just tell them you heard about it from Dan. You get a free T-shirt, and so will I. Uh, that's, a, that's a cute little thing that they're doing just to enhance registrations. But, yeah, I'll be there for sure. Going to be coming directly from London. Joanne and I are going to New Media Expo in London, and we're going to spend a, most of a month over there in London. Then we're going to fly directly from Heathrow in London to Chicago on July 5th so that we'll be at Podcast Movement on July 6th. So, Eric, yeah, I absolutely look forward to, look forward to seeing you there. All right, we're going to bring up our little tune here. I've got a whole lot of things that I want. Incidentally, while this is playing, you know I'm going to talk about a couple other people who have taken what they're doing and now are turning it into coaching. Like with what Aaron Kerr is doing, he had a lot of success in getting books out of the public domain and then selling those books. So now he's going to teach other people how to do the same thing. I mean, that's a great model for expanding your business. We just had a couple people here for Coaching with Excellence. All right, I'll let this play out, and then I'll finish my comment. Yeah, we're the champions. If you got a story you want me to share, just go to 48days.com, click on the Ask Dan link, and you can share your story there. Or just shoot me an email at askdan at 48days.com. Now, to finish my story. So we had a couple people here for Coaching with Excellence who are doing exactly what Aaron is doing. Sometimes there's more more potential in teaching other people how to do what you've done than in continuing to do it yourself. Here's an example. I had people early on coming to me saying, Dan, I'm an author as well, especially Christian authors saying, how in the world have you done what you did with 48 days to the work you love? You know, I'm an author as well. And gee, I made $3,000 and that's it. How did you do what you did to turn it into such an amazing brand and business. Well, after telling people that repeatedly, you know, my mantra, if three people ask me the same question, I create a product to provide the answer. In this case, it was an event. We called it right to the bank, W-R-I-T-E, teaching people how to take their writing and turn it into significant income. I made way more money running that live event, teaching other people how to turn their writing into dollars than I've ever made in royalties from my own books. Coaching, same thing. We do coaching with excellence three times a year. You know, sells out every time. We just finished one. It's an extremely profitable event for us. Love doing it. But it's because people were coming to me saying, how can I do with coaching what you've done with coaching? How can I really leverage my message so that I make money in other ways other than just seeing people face to face? So a lot of people recognize that. We just had here at Coaching with Excellence, a young guy named James he buys and sells computers. Now, I just last week loaded up five computers in the back of my Corvette. It was kind of funny. They joked with me when I got to the recycling center. Five computers, the old kind that had the big stand-up monitors, took them to the recycling place. I'm thrilled to have a place where I don't have to pay to get rid of them. Now, they don't allow us to take those to the dump here in Franklin, Tennessee, and most places will charge you to take those off your hand. Imagine that. I mean, something you paid $1,500 for two years ago, and now you have to pay to get, get, it, off, get it off your desk. Well, I took it to the recycling center. What James does is he buys computers like that, buys them on Craigslist all day long. He knows that computers are a couple years old. People have to pay to get rid of them, so he offers to take them off their hands for nothing. He does a quick cleanup. 
refurbished or whatever and sells them and makes a whole lot of money. He's going to start coaching, start teaching other people to do the same. You've heard me talk about Greg Murphy up in Cincinnati, who last year did over $3 million selling books, books that he buys by the pound, not by the title, by the pound, because they're scrap paper. He buys them from thrift stores, Good, Goodwill, Salvation Army, places like that, libraries. 70% of books that are donated in libraries never get on a shelf. They get so many given to them, they just can't, they don't have the capacity. So Greg buys those. He knows which ones, they scan them, which ones will sell on eBay. They sell about 30% of them. The rest, they strip off the cover and resell it as recycled paper at over $3 million. He's now teaching other people how to do that business. Um, Roger and Teresa, a couple from here in Franklin were here. They've been extremely successful with FBA fulfilled by Amazon. They buy products and they know what sells. They ship it to Amazon. Amazon sends it back out and they may buy, you know, potato chip can for well, well, you know, I, they were talking about they bought like 30,000 air filter masks, the kind of thing you would wear when you're mowing the yard or in a dirty situation. You know, they bought those for like three cents and they were selling them like for $3. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty cool markup when you have a hundred times what you paid for something, but they're doing a lot of that. They're starting to do the same thing. They're starting to teach other people how to do what they have done so successfully very legitimate business model. And a lot of you are sitting on something where you're just doing the work every day when it would be more profitable to teach others how to do what you're doing. Had a young lady one time who came, uh, I worked with her. She was a registered nurse, hated what she was doing. Like, geez, how'd you end up doing this? Well, she wanted to be an interior designer, but her parents wouldn't allow her to do that. They said, be a nurse. You'll never be, be without work. Well, she was never without work that she hated. Well, how cool is that? So in looking at things that she really could do, she discovered that she had a flair for putting together gift baskets. She started doing gift baskets and was extremely successful at getting big accounts like she did the Country Music Awards here, where she did 133 baskets that were exactly alike. Then right after that, she got a deal where she did, there, there was a Taco Bell Managers Convention here in Nashville she did 4,300 baskets exactly alike. My daughter Ashley actually helped in the assembly line process to get those put together. And I told her, I says, you know, your biggest value is not in just cranking out these baskets one at a time. It's in teaching other people how to have a gift basket business that is as successful as what you're doing. She put together some simple videos, expanded started being a speaker at natural national conferences and exploded her profitability, not by doing more baskets, but by teaching other people how to do what she had done. All right. Well, let me move on here. Got a whole lot of questions. Renee says for my next book, I'm not sure whether to go commercial route by seeking an agent and garnering credibility testimonials beforehand or whether to self publish. If the latter, do you agree with the philosophy of Brian Harris and others of testing and building your list first for an ebook and associated products. Now, th this is a question that I get asked daily. You know, should I self-publish? I had a lengthy inquiry from somebody that I've been connected with for a long time as a client over the weekend. 
Uh, he's published two books, self-published, has a new one. He's been shopping it with publishers, and it's been extremely frustrating for him because they say, oh, you know, we may like it, but it'll take us 12 months to really make a decision. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, don't, don't wait on that. My, my experience is that if a publisher really is interested in your manuscript, they'll respond really quickly. Don't get caught up in this garbage of waiting a year and hoping and hoping and hoping, running to the mailbox every day that you're going to have an acceptance letter. Nah, make sure you stay in the driver's seat. Now, by doing that, that doesn't mean that you just ignore all the possibilities out there with the publishers and just do it yourself. Yes, you can do that. Lots of companies will help you just print your own book. And then you can go to things like CreateSpace on Amazon, get it up there easily. I mean, there's no obstacles to doing it like that. But there are also options that are in between those two ends. Options like our friends at Morgan James. Morgan James Publishing. This is not a promo for them, but I love what they do because they're solidly in the middle. They work with authors who are entrepreneurs, people who they know are going to be involved in the marketing, who are doing other things to promote their message and brand. But then they also, now we're doing, as an example, uh, Joanne, my wife, has a book coming out in just a few weeks. Uh, July, Well, July 5th, yeah, a little more than a month. Creating a Haven of Peace. We did that with Morgan James because we're hustling like crazy on our side for things that we're going to do. We're going to do a Kickstarter campaign. We're going to do all kinds of fun things, a book release like we always do. And then through our 48 days network, I mean, we're going to do a lot of things. We're going to get her on podcasts with a lot of influencers that, you know, we know together that are happy to have her on. So we're doing all that. But we also know that Morgan James is going to be getting her book into bookstores, into airports, things that we could never do. So it's a great relationship in working with them. So I would encourage you to look at three options, traditional publishers, hybrids, or self-publishing. But what you're talking about, should you go ahead and garner credibility by getting testimonials beforehand? I mean, do that regardless of which option you choose. Even if you self-publish, yeah, go ahead and get endorsements. And I get requests for a lot of endorsements for books that people are going to self-publish and happy to do a lot of those if it is in fact a fit, but go ahead and do the things that you know will help get the book out there. Even if you do it yourself, I mean, it's not okay. I don't have access to, I mean, you can get your book in Barnes and Noble. If you're a local author and do something to promote traffic to their store, they like promoting local authors. So you're, you're not cut off from really much of anything these days. If you get a deal with a publisher, I mean, why do I still work with publishers like Random House and Thomas Nelson, HarperCollins? Because I also see my books coming back in here in Korean, in simple Chinese, complex Chinese, Romanian, Portuguese, Russian. I mean, it gives me a reach that I could not possibly get as an individual author. So I love the relationship with major publishers, even though I know we can sell a lot of books ourselves. Just look at all the options. Okay, here I've got an audio clip I want you to listen to. It's pretty self-explanatory, and then I want to talk about it. This is Richard. Hi, Dan. My name is Richard Moriarty, and I'm the VP of Sales with the Goals Institute. I really want to, first of all, thank you so much for all your guidance and help over the past few years. You've really enabled me to, to follow my dreams through your messages. And one theme that comes across to me from listening to you is the theme of service. The other day when listening to your podcast, 
I heard Julie Wang calling in, asking for some advice on life skills for her sons that that wasn't being taught in school. Well, at the Goals Institute, we have a program called Peak Performance Through Professionalism. And I have a book that I'd like to offer Julie uh, free on us called Professionalism is for Everyone. This uh, may give her son some tips on, on life skills and the ability to utilize those skills when they move on from high school into college and into the workforce. I'd also be willing to offer her sons uh, a free coaching session with myself. Anyway, Dan, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you do, and I wish you a very, very good day. And in the words of Mahatma Gandhi, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Take care. Ah, uh, Richard, thank you so much for your for your message there. I love when you, the listeners, offer value to other listeners that you hear me talk about here. I'll be delighted to connect you with Julie Wang. What a what a cool thing! Yeah, I had a lot of feedback on that where she was bemoaning the fact that her sons weren't learning personal skills in school had a lot of teachers that said raised their hand and said hey man we are doing that and i'm delighted to hear that so many much of that is happening should we be teaching professional skills to students to our teenagers oh my goodness you better believe it one of the things that i'm introducing right now in our coaching mastery program is that in our coaching mastery event that we have in the fall of each year we're going to have a segment that deals with personal skills. I'm talking about how you stand when you're in front of people, how you walk into the room, how you hold your hands, how you dress, your voice intonation. I mean, we had a and lady yesterday we were working with in our coaching mastery program where at the end of everything that she did, where she was describing her services, she said, now my price for that course is 197 at the end of every sentence, her voice went up, which poses it as a question and shows lack of confidence rather than simply stating, this is the price. We're going to work on things like that. I see people who have the competence to be a coach or to be successful in business, but they don't have the personal skills that make them a strong candidate. When they walk into a room, people say, you got to be kidding me. I, I went to a conference not that long ago where one of the presenters, and this was a conference that really the focus was on presenting, and one of the presenters walked out on stage, he had a t-shirt on and a baseball cap backward, and he wore that during his entire presentation. Now you may be saying, hey, you're just an old fuddy-duddy, Dan, you know, you don't understand the millennials. Hey, bull, it just doesn't make sense. When we take the liberty afforded us in today's environment, because so many of us are free agents, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, whatever we want to call ourselves, but then it leads to arrogance and lack of personal class, personal hygiene. No, it's not okay. I mean, I'm still going to choose who I do business with, and it's people that I know, like, and trust. And some of those things are going to fall into the category, I don't like or trust this person. Well, anyway, Richard, thanks so much. I love the fact that you're offering that and that you're dedicated to helping people be professional in that space. 
This comes from Avila, who says, I've tried different search words before finally asking you all because I feel strongly that Dan has talked about his note-taking system habit before. I can't find it on the website. I'd like to develop a nonfiction note-taking system. I'm a big fan of Evernote, and most of my nonfiction books are hard copies. Thank you. Well, (laughs) I'm not as organized in that regard as many people are. I don't have a real clear system. I read a lot of books, love reading those. And when I read a book that I really valued, it's going to have a whole lot of little tiny post-it note tabs on it. Just finished a new book. I'm loaning it to my son to read right now. who's staying with us here. So it's not going to go far away. I don't loan books to anybody. I give a lot of books away, but I don't loan books because uh, that way I don't feel bad if they don't come back. But when I have a book that I've read that I value, it's going to have a lot of post-it notes. That means I simply tagged pages that had something important on it that I wanted to more than just casually remember. So I tag it with a post-it note. I underline it. Then it goes on the shelf. But three years from now, I can walk over and I can pull off. I can pull off the compound effect by Darren Hardy. And I can go right to the eight or 10 things that were really important to me when I read it, reference those really quickly. I have a pretty strong memory for the books that I've read. So once they have been read and tagged in that way, I also group them on my bookshelves based on area of content. So sales books are all together. Personal development are all together. Finance is all together. Business growth are all together. I don't group them by author, although I usually have authors, multiple books in the same place. But so I have a pretty loose system. Now, Evernote, I love Evernote, but I see that as kind of ancillary. I still go to the physical books on my shelf. I read physical books. I scan a lot of books digitally, you know, on Kindle. But if it's a book that I want to read, I immediately order the real book so that I can hold it in my hand. It's just my preferred way of reading. And I assume it'll stay that way for a long time. Brian says, how many nonprofit boards should I serve on as a balance to just running my own business? Oh my gosh. That's a hot potato for me. I decided about 10 years ago that I would no longer serve on any nonprofit boards. So if it's a church, humanitarian organization, nonprofit, whatever it is of any kind, I don't serve on it. Now, the the reason is, and I know I generalize, but the reason is because I can't tolerate the way decisions are made. They're so slow in making decisions. And there's not the bottom line accountability. Now, here's an example. Just recently, I resigned from a board that was initially when I agreed to serve on the board, it was a for-profit entity. Now, here's the deal. It was a subset of a nonprofit, a very large nonprofit that we've supported for years. I believe in it totally. So they created a for-profit entity where participants in the larger organization who were being served could make products. And then we were going to sell the products and have the sale of the products in this new business, a for-profit business, fuel profits back to the parent organization. So the parent organization would become less dependent on donors. Made perfect sense. I said, man, I'm in. I love it. As soon as I saw the business plan, I said, this will never work. We have to make massive modifications. This is not scalable. It'll never get to the point where it's fueling money back to the parent organization. 
They kept doing it the same, 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 same way. Three years passed. I continued to go to board meetings. I continued to offer my opinion. They continued to do it the same way. Now, here's what happened, though. So three years I was on that board. Within the first six months, they reverted from a for-profit status to nonprofit because they saw that it wasn't working. So instead of being accountable for that and making a business that did work, they simply made it a nonprofit, which meant that, in essence, it became a competitor for the donor funds of the parent organization. That's not a good way to have a business develop where you start it and you figure out, oh, wow, this is really sucking wind. I can't make it profitable. So I'll just make it a nonprofit and hope people give me money so I can keep the doors open. That's not very impressive to me. Now, that being said, on my my little rant, I'm going to quit on my rant. I don't serve on nonprofit boards. So to think that you should do that as a way of giving back, I don't even like that dichotomy. If you have a business that's successful in your community, you're giving back the day you open the doors. You're employing people. You're providing tax money. You should be doing something as a product or service that serves people well. You're giving back from day one. Don't think you have to balance that by serving on a nonprofit board. Wow, I'll quit. Done, over it. Okay, got a question here from uh, from John. Hey, Dan, John McCary. Uh, I wrote to ask Dan to thank you for helping me to, to take the big plunge, start my business uh, called Get More Church Guests. Here's my question. Uh, a friend of mine is excited about what I'm doing. Uh, he wants to, to come on board as a pure commission salesman, and he's a good guy who, who would represent the, my new company well, but is it ever too early in a business to bring on someone to do sales? That, that's my question. No. Next question. No, I'll expand on that a little bit. No, when you have somebody who's willing to come on commission only, that means you don't pay them anything. You don't guarantee them anything. If they go out and make a thousand dollar sale and you give them 15%, they get $150, whatever it is. No, no, it's never too early to do that. Now you have to be established enough so that the person has a reasonable chance of success. Because if you have somebody that goes out and starts promoting a company that's not known about, it's not a proven model and they spend 90 days and they never close a sale so they never make any money, you're going to lose them. And nobody wins when you're doing that. But if you have a viable model that's already proven itself and you have somebody willing to come on like that, absolutely. I've had people come on with me like that, lots of them over the years, where they got involved in something, commission only. I mean, I'll bring people on any day of the week with that kind of an arrangement. And I've done that a lot over the years where – I didn't expect any kind of a guarantee. I mean, good salespeople don't require guarantees and benefits and all that. Good salespeople who believe in what it is they're promoting will just go out there and sell it. That's a great model for everybody involved. All right. Now, I've got an interesting question here. I'll play it, and then we'll discuss it. I'm 64 years old and will soon be getting $50,000 from a will settlement. Should I pay off my house or invest the money for my retirement? All right, gang, what do you think? $50,000, should he pay off his house, which is a reasonable goal to have, or invest it? Um, it this, is, this is one of those where we have hamburger A and hamburger B. You know what I'm looking for, and that's hamburger C. I would not do either one of these choices personally 
Now this is, uh, you know, I'm going into deep water here because I'm not a financial expert and there's certainly a lot of other people who could give better advice on this. At 64 years old, now depending on what your financial situation is, if, if you're totally set financially anyway and don't need to generate income, then, then, then I'd pay off the mortgage, period. Be done with it. But if you're 64 years old and you expect to be around for another 30 years and you really like to generate some income, I'd look at what could I do with that $50,000? I mean, that's just the way I'm wired. I'm always going to be looking at that. With $50,000, my goodness, what is it you could do? Now, I don't want to make blanket kind of recommendations because it has to be something you know about. For me, I could go out and buy five cars this afternoon and you know, next week I'd have $80,000. Now I could buy books because I know we can sell books and double my money anytime. You know, I have a piece of property that I purchased, um, five, six years ago for $140,000. And it was just appraised for two sixty. When I mean, you don't get that kind of return on investments. I mean, things are at, geez, one and a half, two percent. Invest, that's not an investment. That's just a sock that you hide under your mattress in my book. So I, I wouldn't do either of those. But again, the only way it makes sense is to look at your entire financial situation. Uh, I played that here, again, not because we're a financial show, but because that would be exciting to a lot of you to have $50,000 where you could invest it in a business idea and see that grow really well. And that's the, where, where my thinking goes instantly. This comes from Brian. He says, I've heard you talk in the past about book studies that you've gone through with your kids when they were growing up to give them an education outside of the regular school system. I think that is a great idea. With summer approaching, I would like to create a reading list for my teenage kids to spur on their creativity, discover their strengths, introduce them to entrepreneurship, or just basically prepare them for the real world. Hopefully it can just be a fun, relaxed way to keep their minds active and learn. If you could recommend five books for young teenagers to read, what would they be? Oh my gosh. What, what a great question. Five books for young teenagers to read this summer. Here they go. See you at the top. I'm going to just tell them to you and then I'm going to tell you a little bit of why on each one. See you at the top by Zig Ziglar. The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz. How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. The Alchemist, Paulo Coelho. Wisdom Meets Passion, one of my books, Dan Miller. Those are the ones I would recommend. See you at the top? That's just classic Zig Ziglar about how to get rid of your stinking thinking. He's got so many great stories in there. The story of the pump, the story of the biscuits getting cooked in the squat. But he talks about attitude and how belief is what gets us ahead. I mean, the things that cripple teenagers in their peer reviews and feeling low in self-confidence, it breaks through that. We use that as a core textbook in homeschooling our children. They're very familiar with that. And of course, it's funny now, years later, my son, Kevin, who had those principles taught to him over and over, hosts the Zig Ziglar podcast. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, continue to just to marvel at that and talk to him this morning. We, we share ideas back and forth a lot, but uh, he, he started that path by being taught as a little boy, the principles that Zig Ziglar was teaching. 
The Magic of Thinking Big, David Schwartz, lots of stories. But it talks about how to be a front seater, how to have good eye contact with somebody, how to walk 25% faster than other people, and how those little things can really elevate your own sense of confidence, not in an arrogant, egotistical way, but just give you the confidence that you can do something significant. Totally, totally recommend that. Old, old book, been around a long time. How to Win Friends and Influence People, absolutely, absolutely must reading for any child on the face of the earth by the time they're 12 years old. How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, my grandkids, I mean, I got a little granddaughter here right now, and people are blown away because she's so comfortable around adults. And she she has a vocabulary that's amazing for one thing, but you know, she'll look somebody in the eye and talk to them, and ask them their name, ask them where they're from, ask them what they're interested in. She's three years old. How to Win Friends and Influence People teaches kids how to do that comfortably, how to relate well to other people. The Alchemist, wow, that's just such a great story. It's fiction, but it's a great story about a young man who was looking for you know all the good things that he wanted. And he went on this world trip, every place he was looking, he thought he was just really close to it and ultimately ended up right back in his own little hometown and everything he was looking for was right there in his backyard. It's just a great story, but it's a great reminder that the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. Talking with my own son last night, we were talking about somewhat of his own journey and how it relates to the alchemist. And I had just sent him last week a recent blog post from Seth Godin. And in essence, at the very end, it says, what's important is not where you live, but how you live. A lot of people are chasing some other kind of geography when it's really not going to make any difference. I mean, anywhere you go, there you are. But what matters is how you live. Should, do I think everybody has to live in Franklin, Tennessee to be extremely happy like we are? No, not at all. But a lot of people who come here think that the magic is here. They think, oh my gosh, you know, now I want to move to Tennessee because there's such exciting things happening here. Well, explore in your own hometown. I don't care if you live in Seattle or Houston or Paducah, Kentucky. Who could you connect with there? Who are the big thinkers there? Who are the things, what are the things you could get involved in there? It would stretch you, lead you into new opportunities as well. Those are the books that I would recommend. All right, I got a question here from Natalie. Hi, Dan. My name is Natalie, and my question is, what's next? After reading 48 Days to the Work You Love, I just found my passion is in quality performance fitness training, which is a title I made up. And it uses my background in physical therapy and combines it with personal training to provide the most effective and efficient workout. I like fitness more than I like physical therapy, but I currently work in a physical therapy sports medicine clinic. But I have this strong desire that there is something missing and I need to create it. I just don't know how to build a profit without trading all of my time for money. I would like to find my unfair advantage with this and to learn what I can do to leverage this idea in order to have multiple types of income as well as passive income. Thank you. Well, Natalie, I love your enthusiasm as you talk about that, being a fitness trainer. Um, great opportunities there. And, you know, physical therapy is seen as in more of a clinical medical kind of a model. 
and is going to have more restrictions on really what the opportunity is there because it's tied into insurance coverage and all those traditional things. Fitness training, wow. I mean, people want to have a coach these days. You could be a personal coach. Certainly, you could do workshops and seminars. You could do audio programs. You could do instructional manuals, all those kind of things you hear us talking about here, ways that you can leverage your business. But you're right on in looking for your unfair advantage. What is that going to be? So you're not just one more person doing the same things. I mean, look at people like Jillian Michaels. What has made her so outstanding? You know, there's somebody, friends of ours here locally have developed burst training where you are really, really intensely active doing jumping jacks, push-ups, whatever it is for 20 seconds. And then you rest for 20 seconds. Then you go again and you just do that a brief period of time. And they're saying the benefits of that are better than an extended period of aerobic training. You know, jazzercise, I mean, look at all those things that are being done out there that have taken something that have just taken something different, make it their unfair advantage. And they've really rocked with that. Have got one last, I, I got a five second question here that I love. What are the most common traits of a millionaire? All right. What are the most common traits of millionaires? Easy, easy peasy question to answer because I keep a a steady answer. Comes from Brian Tracy and certainly we've seen it confirmed time and time again. The most common traits of millionaires, there are three. Number one, they have clear goals. Number two, they're involved in continuous learning. Number three, they have a willingness to take risk. There you go. That's it. Clear goals, continuous learning, willingness to take risk. Hey, I'm going to end with this one. Check this out. My name is Paul from Spain. I'm a listener of 48 days podcast since 2014. Also read your book, 48 days to the work you love as well as no more Mondays. And all I want to say is I loved all of them. Now I have two sisters that I've recommended them to read the 48 days to the work you love book, but they're kind of pushing it aside. And I hate seeing that because I know it would be so beneficial to them to read it. So I have an idea to try to inspire them to read it, but I need your help on that. Would you be willing to give me the song 48 days that you play at the end of your podcast as an MP3 file so I can pass it on to them? I know they'll love the song and I believe this will raise their interest into the book as well. Well, I wish I had your confidence. (laughs) I, I wish I had your confidence, Paul, that listening to this song would pique their interest. I don't know. Maybe it will. Here we go. Maybe it will. Hey, who knows? I'm always surprised by things that really seem to be the tipping point for people and opening up their own success. So hopefully this will do it. But uh, chances are, you know, I had some other questions here I wanted to deal with as well. We'll save those for next week about how do you motivate people who don't seem to be motivated themselves. The old adage, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher appears is pretty true. Hard to make somebody else want more for themselves than what they currently have. They have to want it. Maybe the timing's not right. I've got family members that it breaks my heart that they've been stuck in comfortable misery for years. To me, there's so much opportunity all around them. And hey, I've got the information to help them. They aren't motivated to make the change and they continue to do the same things year after year. Again, breaks my heart, but that's the choice they make. So uh, don't let it slow down your own success the fact that they're not as motivated as you'd like them to be. Well, again, we've got a few, the events that I'm committed to this year. The list is dwindling rapidly because we're knocking them off. Got three more that I'm going to be a part of. New Media Europe in London, June 18th to the 19th. 
Podcast Movement Chicago, July 6th to the 8th. Well, actually, that's it for this year. Then we're, we're already now we're, we're getting registrations. Coming on for the Ultimate Advantage Cruise. Our cruise leaving from Fort Lauderdale, Florida in February. Love to see you there. We'll be going over Valentine's Day. Theme is going to be living well, doing good. Going to have a lot of fun. Check that out. Thanks for being part of this group where we, in fact, are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.